Welcome to the Primal Foundations Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Pascola. We will dive into what I believe are the four central foundations you need for a healthy lifestyle. Strength, nutrition, movement, and recovery. Get ready to unlock your path to optimal health and enjoy the episode. Today, our special guest is Vinny Tatorch. Vinny is the visionary behind the brand NSNG, advocating a lifestyle free from grains and sugars. Vinny is a renowned best-selling author and penned Fitness Confidential. He is a creative force behind three compelling documentaries, Fat, a documentary one and two, as well as Beyond Impossible. Vinny is also the host of Fitness Confidential podcast with an impressive library of over 2,000 episodes Vinny, welcome to the Primal Foundations podcast. Tony, th- thanks for having me on, man. This is great. Yeah, you, you're Vinny. You are like the OG of low carb and <laughs> and low carb performance. How, how long have you been doing this work and sharing this message of fitness and nutrition? Uh, fitness and nutrition since around 1984. Um, I was still getting my degree in exercise physiology and nutrition from Tulane, but I'd already started my business. I was already the assistant strength coach at Tulane University, mainly working with, um, uh, I was the assistant strength coach for the football team on which I played for before that. Um, But I was also in charge of the tennis team, the D1 tennis team, the D1 uh, swimming team and um, some other various sports that just didn't hit the gym that much. So <laughs> it wasn't like they mattered. But um, the, the swimming team really came in and did a lot back then. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's when that all started. And um, so that's when that career started. I, I, I guess I started more in nutrition when I started training you know, personal clients around the same time, around 1983, 84. And I was telling people back then, you know, the, the words you hear all the time on the internet, you, you can't outrun a bad diet, you know? And um, so that's when all that started. Awesome. And, and then you, you segued into, you know, um, this NSNG, no sugars, no grain. How did you start that company up? Well, you know, back in the 80s, I I was telling people, look, you know, Dr. Robert Atkins got it right. You know, he we don't really need carbohydrates to perform. And and look, it was much harder back then to push it. Uh, The whole there was a new wave coming through where they were telling you to eat less protein, eat less meat, eat less animal products. All of a sudden we started hearing the term cholesterol is bad for you. That was the early 80s. You, you know, another term, you can't get fat if you don't eat fat, right? Um, and there was a book that came out amongst all of that by a guy named Robert Haas called Eat to Win. And he was literally saying in the book, I read the book and I kept checking to see if it was like one of these books that, you know, like, you know, Mad Magazine used to put books out that would punk people. I, the whole time I was reading it, like every, I was in Aspen that summer training the rich and famous. And I kept looking at the book going, okay, everyone's reading this. Everyone's into this. They're telling you to eat pasta and bread to lose weight. My grandmother from Italy knew that that was a bad idea, right? My great-grandmother who barely spoke English from Italy, she knew it was a bad idea. Why all of a sudden (laughs) this became a good idea made zero sense to me. Yeah, I have family in Italy and I visit them. Uh, we're from the the southern region in Bari. And yeah, I mean, they have pasta, but I feel like the, that's like a side dish more than the actual meal in America. You've got the Olive Gardens and it's just like never ending pasta, breadsticks and all those things, which is not not really culturally accurate. Uh, you didn't have to tell us you were from southern Italy. <laughs> we can look at you and go, you can't be from any other place on the planet. Than so- As a matter of fact, I'm the whitest person in my family. You should see the rest of them. Oh, yeah? Um, oh, oh, yeah. <clears throat> we are Sicilians and uh, Calabreses, and that's okay. it. Yeah. There's nothing else in <laughs> the line for us. But I just want to, you know, climb on what you just said, you know. We ate traditional Italian food. And 
pasta was never the, I've never eaten out an Olive Garden. I, I see the commercials if you hear your family. I'm, I'm not so sure that's a real thing. But I can't imagine that being, because you see the commercials and they show them just putting piles of pasta in the bowl, right? Growing up, everyone, both sides of my family, 100% Italian, we never ate that much pasta. As a matter of fact, we ate more rice than pasta. And rice and pasta was always like a side thing next to whatever the meat dish was. Now, we weren't very wealthy. So the meat dish, if it was red meat, it was the cheapest kind of flank steaks and, you know, just the cheapest cuts you can get. Um, We ate rabbit. We ate deer. We ate... um, you know, uh, we ate a lot of fish because it was southern Louisiana and fish was cheap. I know that sounds crazy, but it was. Uh, but the main staple was probably chicken. You know, so we ate a lot of that stuff. There was a lot of like chicken cacciatore and chicken this and chicken that. And, you know, that's where all the protein came from. And we ate eggs like there was no tomorrow. But pasta? Sunday was pasta day. Um, my grandmother would do this big, giant pasta thing with the meatballs. Were, and I, it looks like, it looks like you know, a snowball you would throw at someone. That's how big the meatballs were. So it was all about just pasta with two big, giant meatballs right in the middle of it. I don't know how your family did it, but that was pasta day. It was Sunday. Yeah, we did uh, a lot of meatballs. We'd make multiple ones, but we would also do uh, brajol with the flank steak. And roll that up, and that goes in the sauce. The sausage goes in the sauce. So you're going to have pasta, but you're definitely having meat with that as well. Uh, And you were the producer for, you know, Fad Documentary, the first one, the director of the second one. Can you share some insights to the listeners on kind of how the demonization of fat in the United States started to be about and maybe shed some light on the origins of like, where do we get these nutritional guidelines that we have today? Where do we get them from? The true answer is no one knows. That's just a real answer. Um, but we can we can trace it back. Um, we can, you know, when you look at nutritional guidelines, we can actually go all the way back. And I did that in my first movie. I went back to the 1860s um, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And they started putting forth this idea that they they knew that eating red meat made men more virile. And part of their thing, that church, and look, I don't put any religion down, and I'm not putting them down. That church is a Debbie Downer of religion. It's like, hey, no, no masturbation, no sex, no drinking, no dancing, nothing. You 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 just do nothing, right? And they figured out, wait, when you give young men a lot of red meat, a lot of animal protein, they feel more virile. Your your testosterone levels go up. That's what you want to do, right? Well, if you just cut meat out, you you not only are you dog tired all the time and you feel like crap, but you don't want to have as much sex, so maybe men won't masturbate. The idea started in the 1860s. It wasn't until a little later, um, a young page that worked for the church and did a lot of writing for the church named John Kellogg decided, oh, wait, we can, you know, if we just give people, you know, the side dishes and don't give them meat, then, we, you know, we can, we can cut meat out and we'll have less virile men. They thought this was a good idea, by the way. And if anyone thinks I'm making this up, go find and don't just don't just Google that shit, as they say. Go look at the real history of it. Uh, John Kellogg's invented something called dextrinization, you know, burning down oats enough to where you can bring the sugar up out of the oats. Right. That's, dex, you know, when you see dextrose in food now, that was an invention of Kellogg. Right. The guy was a very smart doctor. But they pushed that that eat it all the way through and then by the 1950s people like Ansel Keys was coming around saying hey um, meat causes everything you know just 
everything. And then, you know, we found we had a president who almost died in office of a heart attack. And uh, of course, one of the premier scientists think, and I don't, I don't get political on this podcast, but on your podcast, I don't get political anywhere on social media, but think about, you know, COVID, the current thing that happened, right? You know, what's his name? Um, Fausti or, Fau, you know, Fauci. Fauci. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, he became the guy, right? And he was telling us, do this, do that. Where At first he was saying, don't wear a mask. Now wear a mask. Now wear two masks. And then we find out the masks don't matter, right? Like none of it worked. But people just went along with it. Well, Ansel Keys was that same kind of bully that was just making up science as he went along. Because think about it. Fauci said, don't even try. You don't have to take my word for it. You can go find the videos of him saying on national television, don't even wear a mask. It won't matter. And then like a week later, he was like, wear a mask. It matters. And then a couple of weeks after, or maybe a month or two after that, wear two masks. Right? And look, I'm not getting political. I'm just telling you, you can go find this stuff. I've looked it up in real time. And it's like, wow, that's because I remember him saying it. We were all watching television. We were all very scared of this virus, right? Like hunker in place, don't go anywhere, right? Well, Ansel Keys did the same kind of thing because the country was going, oh my God, the president almost died. And Ansel Keys just walked up and went, hey guys, it's because he eats red meat. Really? Where did that science come from? I'm just telling you, red meat has a little something called cholesterol, and that clogs arteries. And there was no science to prove any of it. Still today, it's 2023. Show me the science. Show me the paper. It does not exist. It does and, not exist. And his stuff was more like epidemiology, right? Some of it was. Uh, there was a very weak study that showed um, a plus or minus one or 2% that if you ate meat, you know, you might have a greater chance of having coronary artery disease. But if you read the abstract of that same study, it'll say that actually eating meat is better for you than not eating meat. So the study that all the vegans still use today, that's about 60 years old, actually says the opposite thing of what they want you to believe. Again, I'm saying this, on media where anyone can go look this up. Go look it up for yourself. Go look it up for yourself. If you don't believe, and and by the way, go read Nina Taisho's book, uh, Big Fat Surprise. She talks about it in there. Nina and I are good friends. She comes to the house. We hang out. We we go through all the stuff and we learn, we've taught ourselves, we've read the studies, and they don't say what they want you to think they say. Kind of like COVID, right? Yeah, and, same, and same Nina deal. used to be, she used to be more plant-based or kind of in that realm or the space. Nina was a vegetarian for a long time, and she was uh, a pretty prolific writer. And she was writing, I can't remember which magazine or newspaper, and they said, hey, they literally said, go do a study to show that eating a vegan diet because she was a vegetarian and thinking about going all in on veganism, right? And she, by the way, she was feeling bad at the time. She was gaining weight and all this kind of stuff. And she goes in because Nina comes from a scientific background. Her, her father is a scientist, right? So she knows how to look at things and how to read things and how to push them through the lens of science. And she started working on the story and she went back to her editor months later and said, I know you guys want the outcome to be that the vegan diet is the best way to go, but that's just not true. And I think they killed the story, but Nina just kept doing research and she did research for another eight or 10 years and then started writing Big Fat Surprise on all of the studies she pulled up. And that book maps out exactly how they lied to you and exactly the truth that should be out there. That's why when people go, I know you're going to tell me to read your book first, but what other books are out there? And I always go, no, 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 no. Read Nina's book first. And then if you have time, read my book. Right? I literally point people to someone else's book first. 
because it shows the truth. Yep. I, and we still get it today I, in, in this space where I, I'm a big advocate. I have clients like strength training clients. I have people just want to come to me for nutrition and I have like coworkers and I have family and it's just when they know my diet, I'm mainly carnivore. I'll veer off very little bit here and there. Um, I call my, call it more of a primal aligned diet and that's the whole get back to the basics. And it's just still the same narrative over and over again that I hear. It's like, Hey man, I don't think this is healthy for you. I'm like, dude, I ran and I can run an Ironman. I'm pretty, I'm probably the strongest I've ever been in my life. And I don't need a bunch of grains, a bunch of sugar, and I don't eat the way you do, but there, everybody's worried that, that I'm going to get a uh, heart disease. Uh, you know, I'm looking at you and you're, you're yoked out, right? You're a young guy. I, I'm you, trying, you, Vinny. I'm trying. <laughs> look, I, I was there. I was a college football player. I weighed 225 pounds when, and I'm only six feet tall. I'm not very big. And, um, you know, I was one of those guys that just worked out and naturally looked like a bodybuilder. My waist, kind of like Frank Zane, my waist stayed small and my body just, you know, I had really good symmetry. None of that helps you with football, but I, I just happened to be fast. So I was good at that sport. And, you know, it, it was all just high protein, animal protein, tons of eggs, tons of meat. And as soon as I wasn't playing ball anymore, and, and by the way, Everyone told me, oh, if you don't, you know, you need grains because it's muscle saving, you know, muscle sparing carbohydrates. That's just, that's just made up out of whole cloth, right? I did eat carbs back then, but as soon as I wasn't on a team and I didn't get to eat on the training table anymore and I just became a mere mortal that had no money in college, I had to eat pasta, rice, ramen noodles. I even, even though I had eggs for breakfast still, Every now and then I would supplement in what I thought was the healthiest kind of, you know, oat bran or something like that. I wasn't eating like Captain Crunch or whatever that crap is. I was eating the best farm. So if I, if I can only afford to eat two or three eggs, I was eating literally a product called oat bran, right? And stuff like that, which caused immediate stomach distress. I would never have stomach distress before that ever in my life. But now I'm eating stuff that caused bloating, gas, felt like I wanted to throw up for an hour after I ate, and everything else, right? Well, as soon as I got away, and by the way, I bloated up after, you know, after football, if you read my book, there's a picture in the book, you can see my gut is distended, right? Like you, I still had guns, I still had 19-inch arms, I still had, you know, it looked like I had two ham hocks hanging off of my chest, I was still yoked. but I was getting this distended gut, like a beer gut. And I never drank a beer, not one beer. I never drank alcohol until I was like 37 years old, 36. Wow. So all of this was happening. I was still like, in, like 22 years old. And I'm like, this isn't right. And that's when I went back to the drawing board and went, okay, I need to figure this out. And I, like I said, you know, I went back, I, I read a bunch of microfiche. I went to the library. I was still in college. I was still getting my degrees. I started going through stuff because in 1982, 83, there's no Google, right? You can't go Google that shit, as the kids say. But my great-grandmother and my grandmothers were in my head. You know, if, if they saw, oh, you're getting a Ponza, you know, you know, Lardo, this and that and the whole thing. You just stopped. You just stopped eating grain. That's what causes it, right? <laughs> so, I mean, they knew more than what science was talking about. Yeah, it's been, you know, the, you look back, you know, you see all the pictures from, you know, the 60s, the 50s, and you don't see what you see today. You could walk in a regular Walmart today and be like, wow, we, we are really, really heavy as a population. But you look at all these other pictures, they were they were doing it right you know, or they were doing it better than we were at least. Well, I was the first guy and I want to say this was about 10 years ago now, but I was doing it on my podcast before that. I was the guy, I was on the Adam Carolla show, which at the time was probably the biggest podcast in the world. And Adam said, give me some proof. And I said, okay. Um, at the time that, um, um, festival that goes on and, and, um, oh, they were coming up and doing another Woodstock or whatever. 
or you know the festival that's out in California, the big festival. I can't remember what it's called. Um, big like music La- festival. Oh, uh, not Lollapalooza. Uh, Coachella. Coachella. Yeah, it was Coachella, and Coachella was going off. And my daughter came back with a bunch of pictures from Coachella, and I, I said to Adam Curl, I said, I, right now, I said, get your producers right now to pull up a picture from Woodstock 1969. And I want you to pull up a picture from this year's Coachella and put them side by side. And we put them side by side on the screen. And the people at Woodstock, 1969, 68, I can't remember which year. I think it's 69. They were ripped out. And these are people drinking wine and beer. These, I said, look at those guys. They have abs, yet they never go to the gym. They never work out. They look better than people who do long distance triathlons today. And I know that because I trained some of those people. I said, you get to a triathlon after the pros come in, the guys that come in in eight and nine and 10 hours, get to the 13 and 14 hour guys and and see what's coming across that. Everyone at 1969 Woodstock had a better body than the people crossing that finish line. And think about it. You have to train hard enough to swim 2.2 miles, ride a bike for 112 miles, and then run a marathon. You are training like the. I had clients right towards the end that would be training 20, 23, 25 hours per week of aerobics, and they still couldn't outrun what we're calling food today. Think about that for a minute. It's crazy, right? A hundred percent. I had, and I, I people on this podcast probably heard it a hundred times, but uh, one of my big aha moments of, hey, because I wanted to keto. I just started doing carnivore. And I actually, I came across this, um, I, you, you probably heard of it or you know, the people probably you're, you, you're the OG. Uh, it's Sammy Ankin. It's running on fat serial killers Two, where they rode the boat across, um, on the low carb diet. Tommy Ankin and his wife. Yeah. Yeah. And, Tommy, Tommy's a buddy. Yeah. And so I watched that because I was going to do an Ironman and I was doing keto and then I got to carnivore and I really liked it. And I was reaching out to people. I saw that. I was like, man, I, I got to find somebody, a coach for just training purposes. And there's coaches that said, I'm not working with you. I'm like, I want to do this fat adapted. I want to do it on carnivore. They're like, first of all, what the hell is that? Second of all, I'm not going to work with you. You're going to die out there. And they, the, just the recommendations I was getting was like a hundred grams of carbs on the bike per hour. It was, it was nuts. Uh, yeah. but, but after I, I found some people, completed the Ironman. And after that, I was like, wow, like I feel really good. I feel good after the race. I performed well, I didn't have the best time, but I just did it to, to complete it. And I was like, wow, I do this like on under 30 carbs when people are having hundreds and hundreds. Uh, but, but going into that segue with athletic performance on carbohydrates versus like a ketogenic or a carnivore diet, where do you, where do you see the most benefit and and why do people feel going into this, you know, fat adaptive state really is the way to go. And before I answer that, I want to go back to Sami Inkinen and his wife. I can't think of her name right now, but you know, when they first started, just to give your audience an idea, mm-hmm. they they broke several records rowing. It, it was a, a, a team effort, a husband and wife team, open water from San Francisco Bay to Hawaii, one of the Hawaiian islands. It's a race that goes on quite often. I, I have a good friend who rowed from Europe to the Canary Islands in a race uh, put on by Talisker, the, <laughs> the liquor company of all things. But so I know that these events are not easy to do, right? And I'm a rower. So I can tell you, rowing takes a lot of energy. You're using 80% of your muscles in your body. I just did an hour, <clears throat> excuse me, an hour and 10 minutes of my concept two. You know, I just showered up and just, that thing kicks your butt for an hour and 10 minutes, right? And I was staying in zone two, but you work pretty much your entire body, right? It's like doing lightweight, uh, deadlifts over and over and over to be on a rowing machine or to be in a rowboat. They not only broke all kinds of records, but 
Sami was basically just eating fat and enough protein to keep his muscles fueled, right? His wife was eating a lot of fat, protein, but she was also eating vegetables and salads and the whole thing. She started having problems after like three or four days or a week. She was having, again, stomach distress because you're trying to work out with all this fiber in your stomach and it's causing all these problems, right? Your body has to do something with something it's not used to dealing with which is going to ease me into the carnivore thing. He finally said, Sami, I got to stop eating all this lettuce and all this crap. I need to eat what you're eating. So she went high fat, medium protein, just like he did. <clears throat> and then they started breaking records. Carnivore versus keto. I'll be the first to tell you that there's nothing wrong with carnivore. I know people, I have friends that have done it for years on end. The biggest problem I see is people get bored of it way quicker than they would get bored of keto, right? There's more food to eat when you're ketogenic. Um, I, I coined it NSNG years ago because when I first started doing this, I didn't want to use the word ketogenic because I thought the connotation of it is too close to ketoacidosis. Little did I know the term keto would come out of it. Maybe I would have coined that phrase, but I coined NSNG. <clears throat> and it's a better way to go because it opens you up to more food. You have animal protein from things like um, eggs and you know beef and sausage and chicken and pork and you have all of this stuff, but you can all, you know, you have coconut oil, you have olive oil, you have avocados, you know, you have all of these other foods that you can eat, you know, in concert with each other and just get different meals all the time. Right. And I don't call mine, you know, even though I stay in dietary ketosis, I will have some carbohydrates in my diet. People go, oh, whoa, Mr. No carbs, you have carbs. I get them in the form of broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, asparagus. That's about it. <clears throat> no, that's not it. I'm lying. And I have some nuts and there's some carbs and nuts. But I still live in ketosis. Like, I never come out of ketosis ever. Now, part of that is I've been living in ketosis for so long. My body prefers to use ketone bodies, kind of like you. You know, you start going long distance. Your body gets used to that, right? Your body wants to use ketones. Your brain loves ketones, right? I was rolling, as we said, no, no, no sugar whatsoever. I haven't had a vegetable today, period. I don't think I had a vegetable yesterday. The closest I came to a vegetable was coconut oil or olive oil, right? That's all, you know, and I can row. I can I can row you under the table. I go out and water and, and row you under the table, right? So if you ask your coaches over there, they'll say, no, it's not possible. Okay, well, explain what I'm doing. Or explain that Dr. Noakes has gotten people to 87% of their aerobic capacity in ketosis, well-trained athletes in a study. That's high zone three, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when you get into zone four, you can start burning through your blood glycogen pretty fast. And if you ran, if you ran a triathlon too hard or you went too hard, you're going to run through enough blood glycogen to where you're going to bonk. That's why I tell people in competition, I would always carry, like when I go up mountains, I still do a lot of mountain climbing. I don't want to be caught on an ice cap somewhere bonking. I carry a roll, oddly enough, lifesavers because they can save your life. If you start using too much of your blood sugar and your body starts to lose its homeostasis, you could put one lifesaver between your cheek and gum, like you're dipping skull or something. You don't even have to eat it and swallow it. You don't need the calories from it, right? I'm not sure how many calories is in one lifesaver, but as soon as it hits your bloodstream via your, your, your gums, your brain goes, oh, wait, I'm still getting sugar. Rock and roll. Let's start burning fat again. That's so, that is very interesting. Something I figured out by accident on the bike. 
when I started messing around with going long on the bike back in, I want to say 2005, 2006, somewhere around there, I was like, hmm. Because what I would do on the bike is, you know, you start to bonk, you feel that energy lulled, you start going downhill. And I would take one of those goos and I would squirt a goo in my mouth and sometimes just hold it in my mouth and just let it go down slowly. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm up and running again. There's no way those calories did anything. There's not enough calories to do anything. And then I started holding it in my mouth longer and longer and realizing, oh, as soon as my taste buds get sugar, it tells my brain, we're getting sugar again, let's rock and roll. And that's when I started doing the thing called sugar trickle. And I've used it ever since. Um, I'll always have, when I climbed Mont Blanc, I forgot to buy Lifesavers because I was in France and they don't just have Lifesavers everywhere. They have wine everywhere, but you can't get coffee, that kind of thing. It's France. Yeah. So um, my buddy stopped and bought some gummy bears, one little packet. And when we took off to go up Mont Blanc, my climbing partner, he gave me a handful of it. I, and I took a handful. He took a handful. But we climbed in high zone two the entire time. And neither one of us took one gummy bear, not even one. So that's, that's what you can do without sugar. Yeah. I, I, there's tons of people out there now that are just really, I think it's the way to go. I mean, again, the GI issues that you get from just pounding your, your system with carbohydrates. I, I look at like uh Zach bitter, who's set the hundred mile mare or not the hundred mile. Yeah. It was a hundred mile um, indoor track record on a, you know, keto diet or low carb diet. Yeah. Uh, I I've, I heard you tell this story and I don't know if you would mind telling the story again. And uh, I was just listening to some of your podcasts and you told a story about, you're talking about calories in and calories out and about, you know, you were testing some athlete at a university and they were going on the, the treadmill or whatever and doing the VO two max and all that stuff. And you, you kind of had an epiphany about this, this, this is calorie in calorie out calculation actually work. Yeah, that happened in 19, circa 1983, maybe a little sooner than that. Um, it was when I was still an undergrad at Tulane. And um, so we would get other athletes into, you know, you know, we put them on a treadmill. Just It looks like a, if you ever see a Gatorade ad where they got the thing in the, over their mouth and they got, they, they have all the, the, you know, all hooked up to machinery and wires everywhere. So we took, um, we we took some some of the middle distance and longer distance track stars, right? And um, from the team, and we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get you guys to 100. percent We're going to keep you between 90 and 95 percent of your aerobic capacity. You know that's in the red zone. And then for the last few minutes, we're going to get you up to over 100. percent We were taking blood the whole time, and we were. You know, you know, we were catching their gas, the respiration, right? We were checking everything. So when you're doing all that and you get, you have everything hooked up for heart rate, and just everything else. And I noticed that this guy, you know, was hoofing it. And I mean, hoofing it. Guy almost threw it. When he took the mask off, he was heaving, right? Thought he was going to throw up for 20 minutes. And I noticed that he burned somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 calories in that time. And then my friend uh, Lisa and I were taking a lunch break and we were sitting right outside of the lab on a park bench. And um, I ate my sandwich, she ate her sandwich, and we were just chit-chatting about oh, she, her boyfriend and I've had a date that night. You know, just chit-chat stuff. And back in my day, M&Ms used to come in a little packet about this big. I don't even know if they make them anymore, right? Because now they come in, hey, you get a half a pound for like 75 cents, right? Which should be a clue. But she opened it, she ripped off the top and she poured about half of them in her hand and she handed me the bag to have the other half. And basically it's like a handful. You just pop the handful in your mouth. You got a mouthful of chalk, crunchy chocolate, right? And before I discovered, I was holding the bag in my hand because I had to throw it away, but the trash can was over there. And we were still chit-chatting and I read the back, you know, the nutrition facts and it said 186 calories or something for the whole bag, one serving, 186 calories. And I went, oh, look at that. 
and Lisa goes, uh, what are you talking about? Linda. Did I call her Lisa? Her name was Linda. Um, she goes, Linda goes, what's up? And I said, um, there's almost 200 calories in here, in, in this bag. And she goes, yeah, so what? I said, okay, you had a handful and I had a handful and we demolished this bag inside of like a half a minute. And I said, had I had the whole bag or if you had the whole bag, we would have finished this bag in under two minutes, give or take. She goes, okay, I guess. And I said, what was the calorie expenditure of that athlete we had? Now, this guy was like 6'2", 185, 190 pounds, and he was hoofing it. She goes, I don't know, it was probably just shy or just north of 200 calories. I said, aha. He didn't work off this one bag of calories. Now, you add that to what the normal calories are. and without Everything else he eats that day, and for some reason, we think calorie and calorie out is the way to lose weight. She goes, well, it is. And I said, we just proved that it's not, right? This guy couldn't run. He was almost puking. He couldn't run off a small, tiny bag, a fun-sized bag of M&Ms. So that, I knew that couldn't be the answer because I was so interested in that at the time. But I knew that that could not be the answer. We get it, it. You get a lot of those people on the internet and all those things like calorie is a calorie is a calorie, and the body doesn't know the difference of if I get a you know a pound of Skittles and a pound of red beef. I'm like I'm like that's a big difference, man. That is the nutrients in those two are way different, and I think the body reacts in such a way where. We, we, we like to mess around with our food. We want to look at the the numbers, but because everybody's like, oh, well, if I, you know, work out today, I do 500 calories on whatever, and then I'm not going to eat 500 calories. I'm in a deficit. And it's like, you can't, you can't sustain that for a very long time. And and that's just like the narrative that I, I'm always fighting against is, you know, I want people to eat really good food, just good for you food. And I'm not worried about, you know, uh, are you, are you a carnivore? Or are you vegan? Or are you keto or whatever? Like just let's, let's get real food in you first. And then let's, we'll have the conversation about calorie deficits and all those things later on and, and, and going in your, Oh, keep going. Yeah. You got me thinking of something. <clears throat> a calorie is a calorie is a calorie. They're actually right about that. Mm. Because think about what a calorie is. Do you know what a calorie is? It's a measurement. <clears throat> it's a measurement. Yeah. So whether you get a calorie from an M&M or a chunk of steak, it's a calorie. We can agree on that, right? It is a yes, correct. A calorie is a calorie is a calorie. I'll give them that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have a car? I don't. You don't have not, a car? Not in, the, not in the city of Chicago. Oh, geez. You're lucky. <laughs> um, I have a car. And it's, a, it's, it's run off of uh, gas. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have to put something in that car to make the combustion happen. So, you know, it's a combustion engine. And the only way it works is to put something in it that will ignite in order to push the piston down, in order to turn the crankshaft, in order to make the back wheel turn. Right. So, what I put in there is gasoline. Seems to be very efficient. Right. It works. Go to the gas station, fill it up. If I run that tank dry, can I expect my car to continue going down the road? No. So why do we think it's a good idea to run our, our, our bodies out of gas and expect it to keep working efficiently? Does that make any sense whatsoever? And you can say, well, Vinny, um, our bodies hold on to excess fat. Right. It will use that fat for a period of time. And then it's going to start catabolizing muscle because it's going to need protein. And it's going to start catabolizing muscle to turn to go through gluconeogenesis to make sugar, to maintain homeostasis because your brain is a gangster. And it's the meanest gangster on the planet. Your brain will not let itself starve. It will fuck your body in order to live. Right? So all these people with all this intermittent fasting and fasting, you know, oh, autophagy, autophagy, autophagy. Okay, great. You got your fucking autophagy? Good. Good. Go knock yourself out with your autophagy. 
I'm good, right? You're hurting yourself. We're meant to eat food. Yes, we could go periods without eating. And you can skip a meal here and there, no big deal. I do it all the time because when you're fat adapted, your body is living on, on ketone bodies, is living on, on fat, is turning into ketones. So if I have to miss a meal, that's fine. If I'm traveling abroad, I don't want to eat the crap on an airplane, right? So I'm just going to, I'm going to eat a big breakfast. I'm going to skip the meal. When I get to England, my, my wife is British. When I get there, I'm going to eat again. I'm going to eat something good. That's when you skip a meal. But just doing this stuff on an ongoing basis, I don't see it as a good thing. I just don't. I'm sorry. It, it was never meant to be that way. Yeah. And it, we, we see people running down the calories, working out. I'm going to eat less, work out more. And you, had a, you have a great quote too. Exercise is a poor way to lose weight as well. Yeah. Every time I walk on stage uh, to give a, a talk, people go, oh boy, here he comes. Mr. Trainer is going to tell us we need more exercise. And the first words out of my mouth is exercise is a poor way to lose weight because it is. It doesn't work. Or you can do it for a short period. And look, you want to talk about epidemiological studies. Let, let's go right to, um, <clears throat> oh, I don't know, Weight Watchers, probably the world's biggest epidemiological study. It's based on calorie in, calorie out. And they will tell you that they have a 2% rate of people actually ever succeeding. 2% out of every thousand people, what, 20 of them might succeed. And those people are white, white knuckling it. Right. And are they succeeding? I mean, what is, are you succeeding if you're just because the scale is a little bit lighter, but your, your whole, you know, your body's wrecked and you're, you just have no energy all the time. I've had those people tell me because because they they all gain weight again. So whenever they find me, I do consults all the time. The first day, the whole time I was on Weight Watchers, I was cold even in the summertime. You know, it, it, you feel like crap, lethargic. I would go at work. You know, I'd go hide in the broom closet and try to get twenty minute nap, so no one could see me at my cubicle with my head on my desk. You know, can you imagine going through life like that? And thinking that's what it takes to be thin. That makes no sense. It makes zero sense. You think anybody at Woodstock was going run in a broom closet to, to take a little nappy poo? No, these guys were out at Woodstock fucking each other. They were having a good time. Can I curse on your podcast? <laughs> we are today, Vinny. <laughs> Sorry about that. You can beat that all out. I'm, no, no, no. I'm just, a, you know, they call me Grand Torino. I just, you know. Hey, it's an, it. you got I'm no you no BS. I love it. Uh, spe <laughs> and speaking about about you, I mean, you're you know, I don't want to guess your age. I don't want to guess people's age. You could share I'm your 51. age. Sixty one. Sixty one. Sixty one years old. Yeah. Man, you looking good. <laughs> what what is what is the regimen that you have in, in, with your you just kind of your fitness nutrition like in a, in a regular week? How much you train? What's like the typical meal look like? Um, training first. Um, because I'm not training for anything in particular, um, whenever you're not training for an event, it's easy to get off track. So on years when I'm not training for anything, I tell myself minimum 365 hours of aerobics this year. And I jot it down every day. It's just, look, here, the book is right here. It, this book sits on my desk. I, I still use an old timey book and I jot down at the top. I can tell you where I am for the year right now. Let's see. Oh, wow. Um, Today, I rode for an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, for this month, I'm at 16 hours and 55 minutes. And for the year, I'm at 346 hours and 45 minutes. I'll tell you exactly where I am all year long, right? And um, of course, I'm going to easily, at this pace, I'm going to easily get to probably 420, 430 hours of aerobics this year. Um, but that's the aerobics. Now, do I do aerobics every day? No, I do not. Some days I don't do it at all. I'm busy. You know, I had, you know, leg day in the gym. I don't like to come back and do stuff after leg day. I still kick my butt on leg day. So I plan on not doing any aerobics on those days. Um, aerobic comes in the form of stationary bike, um, uh, stair climber, roar, paddle erg, um, outside paddling in the water, outside rowing in the water, also uh, running you know, jogging, that kind of thing is different every day. 
you'll never catch me doing it. That's a lie. You'll catch me doing the same thing two or three days in a row, but usually I'm changing it up. Is this mostly zone two work? All zone two. All zone two. Um, Yeah. And uh, as far as uh, working out, you can see I got a rack right behind me. So sometimes I don't leave my office. You know, I I got a full rack right there. Um, I have a full array of weights over here. I have a bench press over there. I have, I can squat, bench press, pull-ups. I can do everything right here in my office. I also go to the gym in town because it will get boring sitting in my own office every day. Um, I usually do, um, I do, uh, I schedule six workouts every week. I usually do four. So it'll be, it'll be push, pull, legs. And then I might take a day off and do push, pull, and then take another day off. And then on Monday, I'll start with legs again. So if I schedule six and do four of them, I'm doing two body parts. I'm doing, you know, push and pull twice that week, legs once. The next week, I'm going to do legs twice. And I might only do pull once. And at my age, when you have a lot of, you know, tendonitis and everything else, that helps you work through it, right? Uh, when I'm really busy making movies or whatever I'm doing or writing books or whatever, I'll cut it down to two workouts a week, but it'll be a full body workout twice a week. So like Monday and Thursday, and I'll do one set to failure, hit every body part. And I'll be here to tell you, I'm I'm a big fan. Ben Bukikio is a friend. Um, uh, Frederick Hahn is a friend. Those guys are big, you know, super slow. Once at the failure, they follow the Arthur Jones method, which I've used a lot in my life. I've used it for myself and with clients. I usually gain more strength and more size. I see my muscles popping a little more when I'm doing once at the failure twice a week. You know, that's a fact. And look, Mike Mentor was a, a big Arthur Jones guy. You know, I go back to that golden age. I grew up in that era, right? Um, it works. It works like a charm. I just had, uh, I don't know if you know him, Jake Thomas. Uh, he's a low carb guy. He's into triathlons and marathons now. And he's got clients. And we were talking strength training and we were talking about Mincer. And we're talking about, uh, I'm a strong first instructor and I've had a bunch of strong first people on. And we we're just talking about like the minimum effective dose. Like why yeah. crush yourself over and over and again? And you're just going to, you need to have the recovery. If you don't take the recovery, it, your nervous system is going to start kind of playing tricks on you a little bit. Your your tendons are going to start getting real shot. That's when injuries happen. Then you can't train anymore. So the I yeah. love the I love Mincer. I love this whole thing. You know, train to failure, not that many sets, and and, and take the time. Take the time to recover. Mincer did it as good as anyone. Um, uh, the first mass monster. Did a version of it. He did a couple of sets. He went to failure like on the second or third set. Uh, the guy from England, um, early nineties. Uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, first real mass monster, even before the king came along. Um, British British bodybuilder. Oh man, I'm gonna kick myself for not remembering. I'm picturing the guy's face right now. Dorian Yates. Oh Yates. Um, okay. Yeah, Dorian, yeah, he wasn't one set to failure, but he was like I am. I like to do, because I'm old and beat up, I do a warm-up set just to get some synovial fluid going, and then I'll do a medium-heavy set, and I'll stop long short of, you know, going to failure. And then third set, I'll, if I'm doing a bench, I'll grab somebody in the gym and say, hey, just watch me out of the corner of your eye, and when I can't get this off my chest, come grab it, you know. And um, it works like a charm. It really does. And, you know, sounds like I'm bragging, but shirts off. If you didn't see my face, you would go, hmm, this guy is not 61 years old. You know, I get compliments like that when I go to the beach and that kind of thing, because I don't, I'm not one of those guys that just takes my shirt off on Instagram every day. But, you know, it, it's weird to be this age and young guys coming up to me going, dude, you must just do abs all the time every day. No, once a week. And they'll go, well, what are you, what's your routine? It's like, I just pick one thing and just go to failure. You know, warm up, hey, medium set, and then failure. That's, hey, you can't do more than that. <clears throat> and you're probably in and out of the gym 
and they're like still on their phones and messing with their bags and doing whatever. There, there's people in the gym for two hours. I go, what are you doing in here for two hours? Oh, uh, my buddy, um, he's my age. You know, he just turned 60. Uh, we'll call him Matthew because that's his name. I won't give his last name, but Matthew works out like a, a crazy man. And he looks damn good for 60. But he's always saying to me, he goes, you come in here after me. I'm not even halfway done and you're out of here. It's like, yeah, I get it. You know, I hit it, you know, hit it and quit it. Like James <laughs> Brown would say, just hit it and quit it. You know, oh, what, yeah. what else are we doing? I'm not going to waste my time. Right. You know, and what's the, what's the diet look like? Typical meals in a week that you usually have. Boring. Um, breakfast, depending on what I'm going to do after breakfast. Um, I'll have anywhere from three to six eggs. You know, let's put the average at four, 3.5 to four eggs. Uh, if I know I'm going to be missing lunch, I'll have, you know, four eggs and then have another two sitting on the counter. I'll boil them, have them sitting on the counter so I can just grab them and go. Um, so I'll do that kind of thing. I rarely eat lunch because I'm not hungry. Uh, during the middle of the day, I might do something like um, right before the gym, I'll just take a big scoop of um, coconut oil. Or I might, and I'm by any stretch, I'm not promoting my company, but I own a, a product called Ultra Fat from one of my companies, NSNG Foods. And I'll just pound an Ultra Fat or two before I go hit the gym. And, you know, that's the midday. I just eat small calories. And then at night, I eat a big meal. You know, it can be a pound of meat, you know, um, you name it, uh, chicken you know, fish. Maybe if my wife makes vegetables, she does, she makes vegetables for herself. I'll have some vegetables. And, and if I think I want something a little later, I'll just go back and have another ultra fat or I'll just take another scoop of, you know, coconut oil or I'll drink an ounce of olive oil. You uh, know, something like that. A little, little, little shot, a little, little nightcap yeah. of olive oil. Yeah, but I'll do it midday, you know, like before the gym, I'll go, you know, I'm feeling a little peckish, you know, I'm, I want to make it through. I'll just hit the olive oil. Nice. You know? And, and I know we're, we're a little pressed for time because you got another commitment right th after this. Um, but I kind of, I did want to mention, I, I watched Beyond Impossible. That is a fantastic uh, documentary. That is, it's really good. And I, and I like how you, you have the science behind it. You give this, the other you know, side of the argument, like chances to pop in the movie and, and kind of have some discourse. Um, they respectfully declined and not so many words, but, uh, it was really, really good. Uh, and I suggest people go see it and I'm gonna put it in my show notes as well, but you, you have something or a project, um, in the pipeline right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on documentary. If someone would have told me that I would make one documentary in my life, I would have said, you're crazy. And now we have documentary number four. And to prove that I'm not a one-trick pony, I'm taking a, a hard look at keto in this documentary. And it's not all positive. It's not like I'm going, hey, let me just do a, you know, a big love letter to keto. But not everyone does keto right. And big industry has gotten in there and, you know, muddied the waters. You know, and look, this all came because I, I still talk to people. I do consults every day. People can go to vinnytotaries.com, sign up for a consult. And they'll say, man, you know, I read your PDF. I did it. And I can't, I lost 40, 50 pounds. I still have a hundred pounds to lose. And it stopped drives. Matter of fact, I'm gaining weight and I'm telling you I'm a hundred percent keto. And I'll go, all right, let's, let's talk about it. How does your day start? Well, I start with um, uh, the keto Ezekiel bread. And then, you know, I have keto this and I have these keto bars and the keto. So they're not eating keto. They're eating, keep, you know, stuff that companies put the word keto on that have nothing to do with keto. It's like you're still eating junk food, right? But instead of calling it, you know, <laughs> a trail bar or a, a protein bar, a power bar, they're calling it a keto bar. It's the same crap, different day. And there's another, you don't understand, man, it's got monk fruit in it. It's, it's got allulose. It's got, you know, erythritol. It's got, it's like, yeah, you're not doing yourself any favors, right? So 
I thought people need to know the truth. That, that's all I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying. Look, you don't make documentaries to get rich. I can tell you that. Right. It, it's a labor of love. And uh, I've been lucky enough that the money has come back on all of them. That's how I'm able to make another one. I make enough money to make another one. Right. And I, I'm not going to start lying to people. It's just going to always be the truth. Right. So, and I think I did that. And, and you're right. I tried to get some of the big vegan doctors, Walter Willett over at Harvard, tried to get him. He was too busy. Um, uh, uh, Michael Greger, who calls himself Michael, Dr. Michael Greger, but he's not a doctor. Um, he, he told me that um, my audience had to be a certain size for him to, to be, you know, he doesn't, because he's too famous. So I need a certain size of audience to be. So forget about the fact that my other movies had millions of downloads on YouTube alone, right? You know, on the paid version, YouTube TV. Forget about millions of downloads. Forget about, you know, people send me pictures of my movies being on Malaysian airlines all over the world, right? My movies are shown all over the world. Forget about the fact that they were number one on Amazon and broke records over at uh, Gravitas Ventures, the people that, you know, Gravitas. Think about it. My, my stupid movies broke. None of that matters to him. I wasn't big enough for him to be in my movie. So then we showed him that I did meet his criteria very easily. It was a very low bar to, to step over. And then he goes, oh, uh, thanks, but I'm busy that day. And I wrote back to him and literally said, what day? I didn't give you a date. I just asked you if you were available for a movie. And yeah, so, and they all gave, I mean, McDougal started yelling. We wrote McDougal one letter and he started sending hate mail to my, my assistant. Can you imagine? You're working wow. for a lunatic. You're working for a crazy man. It's like, what did I ever do to him? I, and I'm giving these people a platform. I'm not going to cook your words. I'm going to ask you the same things I'm asking Frederick Lacroix or, or Frank Mitlerner or anyone else. I'm asking you the same questions that I'm asking them. Well, you think I'm going to go cook your answers? I'm not that guy. I'm the guy looking for the truth. And I was hoping you can shed some light on that side of it. Right? Yeah, right? we... we... We need more. I mean, we need more of that because it's just very dogmatic and it's two sides and it's, and it's just button heads all the time. But at the end of the day, I always say, I think we all got to agree on just eating real food and, and getting healthy and whatever that looks like for you can be a little bit different. It's fine, but let's, let's get back to those basics. Uh, Vinny, I know you got to run, but um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I can't wait till that comes out. When is it going to come out by the way? Probably um, I'm shooting for early, you know, next year, like Jan early January. I like to release in January and that because, you know, everyone goes for the new me in January. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm working as fast as I can. And, um, you know, that's why I, I'm doing pie. I'll be working until midnight tonight. I'm just I'm doing this. I'm doing another podcast and then I'm going right back to work. Man, you're, you're hustling. I love it. <laughs> and then uh, how can people connect with you if they want to um, uh, either work with you or get some of your uh, your website or anything? Yeah, uh, just go to VinnyTortorich.com. I know it's a mouthful. The V-I-N-N-I-E. He is in Tom, O-R, T again, O-R-I-C-H.com. And, you know, I have a PDF there. It's been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. Um, we, you know, we we... Every now and then I'll do these seminars and everything else. Sometimes they're free. Sometimes I'll put like a little charge on them, like 25 bucks, and you get to ask me anything you want, right? And, and that kind of thing. So I'm always trying to keep everything either free or very inexpensive. So it can be, everyone can, and I would do it all for free, but I'm not a Rockefeller. Wait, nobody knows who Rockefeller is. I, I'm not Elon Musk. I'm not, you know, there, there you uh, go. Bezos. <laughs> You know, I, I, I still have to pay everyone that works for my organization. I make very little. Actually, I don't make any money from the podcast. All the money goes to pay for everyone who works for the podcast. I've never realized a dime from my own show. 
And as you said, we have, you know, 2,500 shows. We've been doing it for 11 years. And there's a large group of people. And I'm very thankful that people, you know, give donations and do everything else because I don't need to do it for a living. You know, I own companies um, that do okay. So I'm okay. But I do need to at least keep pace, you know, to keep it running. So I appreciate when people do that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Vinny, thank you for taking your time and coming on the podcast. It was an absolute honor. Appreciate it. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. And um, if, if you ever want to have me back, man, you're a pleasure to talk to. You're a great interviewer. Let me know. Yeah. I'll come back as early and as often as you want to have me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, thank you for everybody listening to the Primal Foundations podcast. Thank you all for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share. See you all next time on the Primal Foundations podcast.